Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. Oh, yeah, what is up, everybody? It's another edition of Every Man's Fantasy, the podcast that's sweeping the nation. Not really, not really sweet. It's doing well. We're doing good. I think uh, we're having a good time with the podcast, spraying to a lot of different fields, talking a lot of different topics, a lot of different topics I don't get to dive into, at least uh, in long form on SiriusXM, where indeed I do host a, a show every day, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM's Fantasy Sports Radio. I, am, of course, am Jeff Mans. You can find me all over the place, EliteFantasy.com, all things daily fantasy sports, all things seasonal fantasy sports, including the 2020 Fantasy Football Draft Guide, available now, sneaky peeky, FantasyGuru.com is where you go for that. You can use Radio 20, by the way, if you want a little discount on that, or anything else that we offer, EliteSportsBetting.com for all your sports betting needs. Follow me on social media, at Jeff underscore Mans. M-A-N-S, just like this podcast, of course. The Jeff Mans on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. And, of course, my favorite over on TikTok. Got a new Gardner Minshew video up there for you guys to digest. That's right, man. I'm the bad guy. Uh, Gardner Minshew, only a starting quarterback because he's got a mullet and jean shorts. And sorry. Sorry if that offends you. Sorry if that bothers you. But truth does hurt sometimes. The Jaguars are indeed tanking. I'll, uh, I'm not going to waste your time on that topic today. Today, it's episode 17. We have a lot to talk about. I, this is a good one. This is a, I feel good about uh, this podcast. By the way, we did miss a, a week, an episode uh, last week, so I'll be grinding out two this week of May 25th. Uh, we'll be doing two episodes of One Man's Opinion. A lot of stuff going on. I'm getting the draft guide ready for fantasyguru.com, folks. So it's all about priorities, right? It's all about making sure we uh, get the most important things checked off of our list. And sometimes we just can't get to everything. And last week, boy, we are doing a lot of work over at the site, fantasyguru.com. The draft guide, by now I'm sure you've seen our cover with DeAndre Hopkins and Tom Brady, our cover story talking about what a wild offseason this has been, um, and uh, and may, hopefully went over and got the draft guide. It is a living entity, as we call it. Basically, what that means is it's growing by the day. Every day, new content rolling up. Podcast strategy podcasts a part of that rankings projections stat breakdowns uh you know sleepers and busts and injuries and second year players and and um, rookies and everything else so there you go there's a lot a lot a lot going on over there at fantasyguru.com and part of the draft guide uh, if you guys go check it out tell me what you think anything you want added or you think we need or changed or anything like that, uh, you know, hit me up at Jeff underscore man's on Twitter. And also hang out in the, in the draft room. This all preseason, me, Tyler Beaker, Armando Marsal, Russell, Clay, Ted Schuster, Ray Flowers, Vlad Sedler, Benny Ricciardi, and a bunch of other folks, uh, our other guys at Fantasy Guru, the Lead Sports Network, will be in the chat room hanging out with you 
talking about our drafts, answering your questions, keepers, best ball, dynasty, questions on ranking, strategies, whatever it is. We're there 24-7. So you could pop in anytime that's convenient for you and go get it. Today, it's about a fantasy beginning. And I wanted to do this episode today specifically because of where we are at in the world, right? With the quarantine, it's not over. Depending on where you live, I'm in Arizona, one of the most wide open states there is. There are shopping, everything's available to everybody at this point in Arizona. You can go out and go out to restaurants and public places and all of that good stuff. Um, so with that opening up, and I understand New York, New Jersey, you guys, Illinois, you guys can't do that quite yet. Other states can. But the overall you know, momentum, if you will, is toward reopening the continental United States starting to get back to work, get back to school, even though it's summer and most schools out, but you get it college and summer school and getting back to regular life, even though that regular life most likely has changed forever, or at least for a long time for most of us, some semblance of a regular life where we can actually get together. You guys, you know, single folks go on dates, you know, hookups and, uh, you know, families can go to restaurants and celebrate graduations like I did over this past weekend with my daughter graduated from high school. Um, so whatever it is, and I, I felt like, I'm like, all right, how do we capture this moment? How do we talk about it? And what I wanted to do, and I thought would be fun for some of you, is I want to talk about how I started out in fantasy sports. And we did a fantasy industry podcast a while back, I believe uh, it was the one with Ray Flowers, uh, oh no, it was before Ray Flowers, as a matter of fact. No, it was. It was Ray Flowers. Episode number nine um, is the one. Yeah, the fantasy sports business. So you guys already have an idea how I got started in the business. I talked a little bit about how I started playing fantasy sports, but I'm going to dive into that a little bit more today. I'm going to talk about my beginning in sports, my beginning, how fantasy sports have come about. And one of the reasons, uh, many reasons why I wanted to do this this episode this week and at this time, you know, we're going to be getting into the fantasy football season. We'll have baseball information for you too. And we'll be talking about those things as we go forward. But there's a, uh, one of the thing, um, one of the things that stand out most to me over my history with sports and fantasy sports. And I get into it all the time. I, I, you know, I talk about it and people don't, like my point of view some of the times and maybe most of the time to be honest with you but here's the deal this is one of those rare things in anybody's life where for some reason whatever it was this is what I was meant to do it truly really is and I'm gonna show you guys I'm gonna go through sort of you know you know a lot about my life story at this point I've shared a lot on this podcast and will continue to do so but why I have the point of view that I have um, and it's different it's different from most people it's different than 99.9 percent of the industry and at times it really rubs people the wrong way and I get it I really understand it but I'm not I have been bred for this. There's a reason I've been very successful. I've talked about it. I talked about it in the, the episode nine. I've talked about it before that I wasn't welcomed to the industry 
right? It wasn't something where, hey, oh, you want to write and you want to be, you, you want to blog and you want to post your rankings or no, nobody cared. I did it. I did it in 05. Ted and I talked about it as well. 05, 06, nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared, right? I had to win my way into all of this. I had to win my way in. And whether you like the point of view I have or you like the way I play this game, I hope that you understand. You don't have to like myself as a human being. If you don't like my politics or my stances on the Get to Know Me podcast, episode one, whatever it is, it's fine. But I would strongly get on my back when it comes to fantasy sports and specifically fantasy football. Let's stop the bullshit. I don't, I don't, I've, I know football as well as anybody, anybody in our industry. No question about it. I played the game. I know the game. I know the playbooks. I know what players are supposed to be doing on certain play calls. I know what coaches are trying to do. I understand where the points come from. I'm not a data guy. Not, not that I can't cycle through data. I think my DFS prowess have proven that. I know how to grind numbers, but I got accused the other day, oh, you never reference numbers. That's bullshit. Number one, bullshit. For two, it's not a numbers game. Baseball is a numbers game. Baseball, if you're not referencing the numbers that, behind every single point that you make, then you're probably you're not, either not doing all the work or you're trying to make a point that's not valid or you're biased or whatever it may be. Football's not just a numbers game. Numbers lie often in football and quite a bit in fantasy football. So those are the things that Folks that are good at baseball, they think, oh, I'll just blueprint this in football and here, away we go. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's why people haven't had the success in a daily seasonal and betting environment than maybe I have or, or some others as well across the industry. But I'll, I'll talk about, I want to talk about how I got started playing fantasy sports with you guys as well. So let's begin there. And I promise it won't be a brag fest. I know, I know. You guys are already screaming at your uh, your headphones. All right, man, enough, you're good. That's why we're listening to this fucking podcast. Duh. So it all starts for me back at, as a young kid, you know, age five, six, seven. When I was six years old, like I, I was a White Sox and I grew up in the South Side Burbank. I told you guys, Bridgeport, I lived briefly before moving out to the suburbs. So I was a White Sox fan. 1983, they go to the playoffs. I remember running home from school. I'm six years old. Six years old. I was running. Actually, I was five years old. I was five. Yeah, I was, uh, no, 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 I was six. Yeah, yeah, because I was going into, that's right, it was the fall. So I was going into, for, I remember I had, uh, I won't say my teacher's name, but, uh, um, you know, my first grade, I was running home from school trying to get home in time. They had an afternoon game in the ALCS against the Baltimore Orioles. Now I was just hooked. Every pitch mattered, and the White Sox were supposed to go to the World Series the first time. My mom was a diehard fan. I've talked about my mom and dad and their sports and all that in the past. But, you know, I was just in, right? And then that didn't go the way Tito fucking Landrum hits a home run and boom, uh, they get knocked out. Well, a couple years later, it's the 1985 Chicago bears. And that is a magical run. They win the super bowl and I'm, I'm just in right sports in Chicago, 
at that point, you had the White Sox in 83, the Cubs were winners in 84, even though they didn't win the whole thing. Then the Bears win the whole damn thing in 85, and the Bears are so good the rest of the decade that that's all that really mattered. And not to mention, I'm a Notre, I'm a Southside guy, so I'm a Notre Dame fan. So Lou Holtz comes to town. And football, college football is, uh, is a must-watch event on Saturdays. So as a kid, I did a lot. I just watched sport. I couldn't get enough. Just genuinely couldn't get enough. I used to get these sticker books that uh, I think Panini does them now, but it was another company back in the day. And the reason I loved these sticker books is they were dirt cheap. I think they were like 25 cents or something. And my folks would get them for get me the sticker book if I did X amount of chores or whatever. And then I'd get packs of stickers. Well, you know, the sticker books were great. And it was, I, I loved getting the stickers. Don't get me wrong, but I couldn't afford, I never filled up a sticker book in my entire life. But the key was they had all the players and all the stats. Cause back in those days, you'd have to get baseball cards to look at the stats on the back. So all the numbers we're on the back of baseball cards. Well, baseball cards are expensive. You had to buy whole packs and stuff like that. And my dad actually was, worked at a grocery store. I used to push carts in 1984. And I have pretty much three to five copies of every 1984 Fleer baseball card you could imagine. That includes Wade Boggs, rookie, Ryan Sandberg's rookie, Tony Gwynn's rookie, all these guys. Because I pushed carts in the entire summer. But the sticker books was a cheap way to get access to stats. I loved it. In the back of the sticker book, that each team and everybody who played, for the, they only had them for baseball in those days. So I had all the numbers. So then I would take on my own season and I would play with it. And I would, work, I would like play it out where I'd throw the ball against the wall or whatever. I had my own like make-believe thing going on. Right. My friends would want to play and I'd play with the friends, but then I'd, I'd always make excuses to go run my own season. I want to run my own season. It's, and again, there was no path for this. There's no blueprint for any of this. I just did it. I just wanted, and I would always, you know, all the numbers would always equal whatever was in those sticker books or on the back of a baseball card for every single player. And at that time I would make trades though. And I, I remember, I'll never forget Mike Greenwell. For some reason, I just liked the name and he had done nothing in like, 85. I want to say, I might be a year off with this. So if you research it and say, no, it's wrong, whatever. Mike Greenwell's year, he came up, he did dog shit. And then eventually, and then I traded him to the White Sox that year because always, it was always the White Sox getting great players. And then Greenwell became a star. Well, he really did become a star for a while for the Red Sox um, in future years. But, you know, I played it out on my own. And I would make up my own teams and I would use either the stickers, the baseball cards, or just, I would cut out little pieces of paper with the players' names on them. If I didn't have a sticker or a card at that time and piece everything together. And I would have teams and I'd break out my teams, you know, in whether, you know, I had them, I think rubber banded all up. Yeah. Rubber band. I didn't do envelopes. Later on, I eventually did envelopes, but um, I just rubber banded them all up and I'd say, Oh, the Cardinals are playing the Padres today. White Sox are playing the Yankees. And I'd play out these games myself. And I did that throughout the eighties, but I was, I was always enamored with the numbers and the stats and arranging my own teams. Well, if I put this guy, this team needs an upgrade at left, in left field. Or, you know, and it was like that for baseball majority of the time. Football started coming on around those, that, those times as well. 
I just didn't have access to the numbers as well. And thus, I would just take whole teams and do my make-believe games you know, during the football season with that. But I didn't have numbers necessarily to back me up. And then one day happened. It was about it was 1987 going into 1988. Again, I'm 10 years old at that point. And my sister began, um, my sister had just recently got a divorce from the father of my two nephews. And uh, she started dating this guy. And, you know, he was around the house a lot. He was, you know, they were young, closest uh, sibling in age to me, my sister and her boyfriend at the time. Well, he started, he loved sports as well. So he and I just instantly connected and used to play basketball in the front yard and all this kind of things. We got along just amazingly. Eventually they got married and had another, uh, had a son and he's my nephew, my third nephew as well. And, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But he came around and he's, he was going through notebooks and writing down player. And he would, I remember when football would be on, he'd be cheering for other teams and scores and I was fascinated by it because I always knew, you know, I loved the Bears and what was going on, but I was always enamored. Why are you cheering for the 49ers? They were the enemy at that point, or the Packers, God forbid, or the Vikings or somebody like that. And it turns out he was playing this thing called fantasy football. And I watched and marveled and he showed me, you know, how scores were done. And I remember um, back in those times, I would be at their house, uh, my sister and brother-in-law, my two nephews who were younger than me that I talked about on uh, one of the previous podcasts. Um, I'm six years older, six and seven and a half years older than my two oldest nephews. And so you know, they would always tag along with me, but I would tag along with my brother-in-law and see what's going on. What are you doing with this fantasy football thing? And I just loved it. He explained it to me and I saw it and I used to sit around. I would try to go be around him on a Monday when he would get done with work, I would try, I would love to be there because um, like if we had a day off labor day and things like that after a football Sunday, cause then he'd total up his numbers and it was my favorite thing to do. Totaling up. Oh, how you, you have who this player and this, that, and we got everything from the newspaper guys. Th- there's no internet at this point. There's no, you know, you don't have access to statistics you don't have access to any of that. So it was always the newspaper that we got who scored for what team. And there would just be little box scores. You know, the, the local newspapers didn't give a shit really about any other box score other than the Bears for me. And I'm sure wherever you guys grew up, same way. So it was a fascinating thing and not easy to do. Finally, uh, I want to say two, a year or two of just pestering him and being enamored with it that 1989 I started my first league and I didn't start it I'm 12 years old at this point but we did a four-person league there's me my brother-in-law and my two nephews who by the way I'm 12 years old they're six and four (laughs) the four-year-old has no idea six-year-old barely knew what was going on and uh um and they'll tell you to this day you know I just said so we just kind of it's like you do with uh you know, I'm sure you do it with your baby, a baby or toddler or somebody You're like, Oh, this player's good. You wanted this player. And then one of those things, but we did a draft and we carried out a whole season and I totaled everything up. So my brother-in-law didn't have to do the work and you know, all of that good stuff. I still, now I have notebooks going back from all this kind of stuff. I don't have that notebook. 
right? I don't have that notebook, but I did when my sister moved 20 years ago, right? Which was still 10 years after this happened. Uh, we did have our original roster sheet that we had. And I, of course, had football cards. And I, I put all my players in football cards. That year, uh, Neil Anderson was the first overall pick, but that was we went youngest to oldest as far as the draft order was concerned. We were fair even back then. Neil Anderson of the Bears was the, the number one pick. I ended up with Barry Sanders. So uh, Barry Sanders, Joe Montana, and Jerry Rice were the first four picks of my 1989 draft. Uh, on this team, I, I wound up with Warren Moon, Christian Okoye, Gary Clark of the Washington Redskins, uh, Barry Sanders, of course, as well. I don't know where we finished. I don't know who won that league. I'm guessing it wasn't me because, quite honestly, I, as you heard in the beginning of this podcast, I document pretty much everything. And when I win something, everyone knows about it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of that dude, unfortunately. So I don't think I won it. I don't know who did. But that was my first taste of fantasy football. It was just – and I was hooked. Right. I, at that point, just hook, line, and sinker. So we played like that. We eventually did a couple leagues where uh, my sister and brother-in-law moved to a new neighborhood, a uh, real nice place in uh, Bloomingdale, Illinois, I could say the town. Why not? And that, I mean, that place had a neighborhood full of kids, and so I conducted a draft with that. My brother-in-law was a part of that, too. And we, you know, had seasons. I, we drafted continuously from um, 89, 90, 91, 92, and, and all the way up. Eventually, you know, I get to age 15 and, you know, I'm, I'm walking tall. I, I, I want to lead the Catalina wine mixer at this point. So there's a spot that opens up in my brother-in-law's main league. It's a $150 entry fee, very expensive. Right, you're talking 1994 money. That's a lot of money, especially for a 15 year old. That's a lot of cake. But um, I started working when I was actually 12 years old, pretty much full time. I've been working full time since 13. Um, started with newspaper and Daily Herald, who I eventually wrote for, but selling subscriptions and then you know all that stuff. So cutting grass, shoveling driveways, all that, all that kind of stuff before I got that job at 13. So uh, in 94, so I actually had some money and I said, yes, this is what I want to spend my money on. My sister did not want my brother-in-law to uh, let, let me in. My mom was dead set against me playing in this as well. It was one of those things where they were just uh, not having it, right? They just didn't want me to spend my money on something wasteful or gambling as they saw it and whatnot, but I ended up doing that. Now, Tell you about that season in a bit. In between 89 and 94 ended up being my first season of uh, high stakes fantasy football or higher stakes fantasy football. In between that, my brother-in-law, my nephews and I also got in to the, so on a couple podcasts ago, I talked about my depression right? Depression that I, my life with depression, episode 15. Go back and listen to that if you haven't, or if you know anybody yourself have ever dealt with it. I put my heart on the table for that one. When I got bullied and beat up and all this stuff in junior high school, I basically wound up living with my sister and my nephews and brother-in-law for most of 
like two years, essentially. I was back and forth from home, but, you know, they lived in a different town, a much better town, a much better area, and all that great stuff, uh, you know what I mean? So that was that was my time, and that was right in there. It was 89, 90, 91, right in there, and I'd watch my nephews and babysit for them and everything else. During After the football season, we got into a, a, a game called Stratomatic. I've talked about Stratomatic plenty of times. It's gotten a surge of popularity recently because the baseball season, they're using the Stratomatic software and player cards to simulate the 2020 MLB season right now in a lot of different uh, facets. But I started, it's a card and dice game. You, you roll the three dice, you have player cards, you draft your teams, you could use the existing team. I remember the first time I played it was 1987. We had four-team league. It was the, um, I remember Padres, Giants, Dodgers were all in it. And one other team was there. Was it? Diamondbacks didn't exist. So I don't know who that other, I can't remember who that fourth team was back in those days. But we had four teams to choose from. And we would draft our own teams. And we played those seasons. And so my brother-in-law always got the new card set every year of Stratomatic. So I started playing this baseball Stratomatic. And I played that ton, uh, just an absolute ton. I didn't play fantasy baseball until a little bit later on. 89 through 94, essentially, I played Stratomatic cards and dice games for baseball. That was a simulation. Again, I kept all my own scorecards. I had my own, I used to save money to go get copies because we didn't have printers and copiers and all that stuff back in the days. I used to have to go to a copy shop and uh, pay whatever it was, a nickel, a copy, and add it up. Because every sheet you needed for, you know, you need a sheet per game. So it was five cents a game relatively. I know I sound like Grandpa Mance here, but man, that was a lot of money. So I'm shelling this stuff out to keep my own scores. And then not, not only keep the own scores of the game on Stratomatic, but then I would also total them up for the season. And to have the seasonal statistics gone. This is before Microsoft Excel. This is before I could just plug and play numbers and, or, or do algorithms or any formulas, right? I did everything by math, everything. And I just loved it. I spent so much of my time doing this during those times. As a matter of fact, 1991, I started playing fantasy hockey. I moved to a new neighborhood, which I've talked about before on the podcast, and I started playing fantasy hockey a couple of guys from uh, Sault Ste. Marie Michigan who had moved recently to the town I uh, I went to high school in and were in my neighborhood they were big hockey fans so we started playing hockey we started doing fantasy hockey played video game hockey I was just into hockey all of a sudden and we did fantasy hockey from 91 through 96 basically you know uh, one year I got a subscription to the hockey news which was the greatest damn thing Ever. The Hockey News was one of the greatest sports papers there ever has been. And that includes the National, which was a sports-only daily newspaper back in the day in the mid-90s. But the Hockey News was the jam. You know, Jeremy Roenick, uh, Stevie Iserman, and Brett Hull back in those days. So to show you what a freaking nerd I used to be, um, in, in high school, by the time I got to high school, I, I played sports. So I, became, I started getting more popular. Junior high school, I've talked about, bullied, the whole shit. But by the time I got to high school, like I only cared about sports, and that's all I was doing. 
And I would get to school super early. We, we all would. Me and you know, four, about four of my buddies that we did this hockey league with, we would go because they would always have, the library would have the late sports final, the Chicago Sun-Times. And that's where we totaled up all our fantasy hockey thing. That's a daily activity. So we'd go do that and, and go and total up all of our stats and fight over that late sports final because they only had one copy of the late sports final. So, um, which is the one that was our official scorekeeper. And we'd go and total up the points on that and everything else. So, yeah, yeah, a lot, not getting a lot of tail in high school with, uh, with that mentality, but I didn't give a shit. I was all about it. Started playing fantasy baseball finally in 93 when um, was introduced to it there. And, of course, the very next year, the strike happens. Didn't restart playing until 96 and then been playing fantasy baseball every year since then. So that's sort of the, uh, you know, my timeline with other sports. Football, though, was always happening throughout. Every year we did a draft and carried it out and – I learned things, and as I ran all these numbers, as I totaled the numbers up myself, I, I've spoken about this many times, but I, the way I learn, if I handwrite something down, and, or even if I type it, right, if, if I'm writing it, if I read something, eh, you know, 50-50 shot, I retain the knowledge, to be honest with you. It, it's, you know, in one ear, out the other, maybe I'm distracted, maybe I'm not, whatever. But if I write something, it becomes gospel. Uh, since I was 12 years old, everybody in my family, since I was yeah, probably younger than that, I would be able to read off statistics off the top of my head. Boom, 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 boom. Just my family still talks about it to this day, how I always just was good with numbers. I was always really good at math. I was always good at numbers. And you know, calculating batting average and ERA and these complicated formulas in my head was something that was bewildering to my friends and, and anybody else at during those times. Again, this is before computers. The man's family never had a fucking computer. You got to be kidding me and all that. So eventually, though, we did. And I think it was 1993, I got a... I saved my own money. As I mentioned, I was working, selling subscriptions at Daily Herald. I'd go door to door, knocking on doors, go to school all day, come home. I've talked about it, but they used to take us. I used to get dropped off in Glen Ellen, Illinois at the Daily Herald headquarters. Some dude that was as sketchy as fuck would load us in a van and we'd go to neighborhoods, literally drop us off. The guy would leave. We would be out there by ourselves doing God knows what until it was well past dark. and We'd have a meeting spot. And there were several times the guy never showed up or that guy got fired or what have you. And we never got picked up. We'd have to find our own way home. Dave, no cell phones, no pagers at this point. But uh, anyway, I was a, always working. So I used to save money. And eventually... I saved money. I was the first person in my family at age 13. Uh, I'm sorry, I was 14. And yeah, yeah, 14 to get a computer. And uh, my mom helped me out because we had to buy it from Montgomery Ward with a credit card, you know, like a whole thing. And I would have to make the payments and paid part of it or whatever it was, some agreement. But a personal computer, Packard Bell, little thing. And then we realized, oh, need internet service. Well, that ain't free. There was a company called Prodigy. 
Prodigy changed my life. Prodigy, was, and by the way, years later, I met and worked with the great Rick Wolf, who uh, is now with Fantasy Alarm, and we worked together there, but he was a programmer for Prodigy. And now it's funny how the circle goes, but while I was on Prodigy in 1993, so I was, I was like 15 at this point, right? While I was there, I was paying the bill for the monthly service. Well, for one, I, had a, I would always get those discs. I, would, I was the master at deleting the software, getting a new free, you know, free three months or free however many hours they gave you. I, I constantly rolled that, even at a young age, that uh, we wouldn't pay very often. But when bills came due, I would always have to pay it. But while I was there, I started the first ever, thank you very much, at 15 years old, the first ever fantasy football message board, I believe the first one ever on the internet. There are others that make the same claim. I'm not here to fight with people or argue what I did and didn't do. I know Prodigy didn't have one, and I started it. And the people that eventually went on to this, Dave Richard, works at CBS, John Hansen, legend, obviously, founder of Fantasy Guru, um, and many others that now work in the fantasy sports industry. And, you know, we all became, became a whole thing. And I, we would do drafts and talk fantasy football and different league formats. And it was one of the great things ever. I was so impassioned when there would be a new message posted. Eventually, I had to lie about my age. I used to tell everybody I was 22 something. And I remember we used to do drafts via the phone. So you have to give your phone number. And they would call you and then you, they would tell you all the picks up until that you've missed since your last pick, right? And then you would write them down and then you'd call the next number and then they'd tell you all the picks that way. And that's how we drafted by phone for several years. And I would always have my brother, older brother, answer the phone and pretend to be me and tell him exactly what to say and write everything down for him and everything else. Well, eventually the guys uh, started wanting to go out and hang out, especially local people in the Chicago area, wanted to go out and hang out. And they want to go out to bars and restaurants and everything else. And I used to have to lie all the time because I'm 15 years old. Didn't even have my own, I didn't, couldn't drive at that point. You know, I, so it was, uh, it was one of those things. So I did this for years. I did dozens of leagues, dozens of leagues. with everybody. I joined every league there was nothing I didn't do on that message board. And that message board, it just, another one, another one, another one. It, it, it was, you know, like DJ Khaled, another one. You know, keeps coming, keeps coming. And they grew and grew and grew in popularity and everything else. So um, that was my history with fantasy football. And it hits the 1994 season back to where I, I mentioned. It was my first big money league of all time. $150, huge money at that point. Finally get the blessing. My mom was pissed. My sister was pissed. They thought my brother was bringing me into corruption. And they thought my brother-in-law was bringing me into corruption and that I was going to lose all my money, yada, yada, yada. Total points league at that given point in time. And I went to a bar in mm, Shooters in uh, like the north side northwest side of chicago at that point and uh i went into that bar i got dropped off by my mother uh in the city of chicago by myself and went and drafted in the back room of a bar that year in that league 
And my first ever pick that season was Tim Brown. I had a late pick, 12-team league. I think I had, I think it was 10th or 11th, but I remember it was being Tim Brown, which was uh, you know, pretty surprising. I love Tim Brown. I'm a Notre Dame fan. You know, and he had, at 94, he had a pretty good season from what I recall. But um, I had him. I had Brett Favre and uh, uh, Sterling Sharp at that point. So I had a combination. I learned a lesson about combinations, how valuable they could be, because Favre went absolute bananas that year and everything else. And here's something upon researching for this podcast that I found out. I've been lying, evidently. I always thought, in my mind, in my memory, I won the first year I played the big money league. But it was wrong. I actually took second place total po- in total points. I didn't win that year. I always got that year confused with the 1995 season. And for very good reason, because I learned a ton of lessons in 1995, right? So in 94, took home second place. I won $350. And by the way, I've got all the old standings and sheets. Back in those days, guys, we used to, uh, used to have to mail out the standings. The commissioner would answer the phone in, in Chicago Central Time Zone. Games would start at 1 Eastern, so noon um, Central Time. You would have to call your lineups in before noon. The commissioner would have to record it officially. And there were times you had commissioners that were out, uh, they went to church or whatever. So you'd have to leave it on their answer machine with a you know time and date stamp essentially so that they knew you called it in before. And then the commissioner would total, put it in everybody's lineups, keep track of the scoring with the late sports final. We actually switched by then, 1994, to the USA Today. And that was big time because it was I think that was 50 cents. And like, that was big money back in those days, man. And so that was the official scorekeeper eventually because we realized that uh, each newspaper had different statistics. It's like before you really knew what the official numbers were, every newspaper would just be different. Oh, that was a nine-yard run. That was a 10-yard run. Well, in our format, which was a distance scoring format, that's a difference of three points. Okay. So every yard matters. So the USA Today became our official go-to in uh, in those days, um, and the commissioner would record all that, and then he'd mail it out. He's like, he'd do all that Monday. He put it in the mail on Tuesday, right? The final, the the did you win? Did you lose? You know, we'd all be at our own houses, totaling it up as far as what we knew, trying to get in touch with the person we were playing or the commissioner to tell us what the other lineups were. We never really knew though, and that think about how fucking crazy that is right now. Imagine pl- plugging in your lineup. And not knowing what your opponent's lineup was until, you know, Thursday or Friday, usually Friday of the following week. You genuinely didn't know. All right? Yeah. Well, Jeff, I thought you said the internet was invented. Yeah, but we didn't use the internet in 94, 95, man. Most of these guys, like I said, Prodigy that I used and, and was on all the time, finding information and news and researching sports and numbers, I was way, way ahead of my time lightning years these are guys that were all by this point late 20s early 30s so they're a good decade plus older than i was and none of them not i don't maybe one of them had a personal computer at that point right maybe and i 
don't maybe they did, but the ones that did didn't have the internet and you know whatever for the for the first couple of years at least. Eventually, they started coming on, and our first year of using an online commissioner service was CBS back when uh, they merged with commissioner.com. And that was our 1997 season. So uh, there it is. But so 1994, finishing second place, wanted to cool $350. I always got that confused with the 1995 season. I call it the Curtis Martin season. And that was such a, such a fun year. It was one of the greatest uh, seasons ever. I remember pretty much every week, like it was yesterday, which is both scary and obviously very, very sad as well. But in 95, again, I'm 17 years old at this point. So I'm older. I can drive. I drove myself to the bar where the draft was. Um, also, to get ready for drafts, I had prodigy i had the internet at my disposal but again i was pretty much one at 17 years old one of the first people publishing any kind of thoughts on fantasy football that there was there wasn't professionals back in those days not many of them now there was so like john hansen took off he started fantasy guru he went um bob harris and guys that i've now met later on in life um I caught up with they were doing it and they started publishing magazines and things like that and I would go buy those magazines but the guy the man back in those years and I remember the 1995 I still have the 1994 the 1995 I have 94 through 99 the books Cliff Charpentier that's rip Cliff Charpentier books used to have to go to a bookstore to get it it was like man I don't know. It was at least 10 bucks, if not more. It was expensive. And it was like all I want. I couldn't wait till that book hit the bookshelves. And he would have write-ups. I remember my favorite thing about the Cliff Charpentier books was that he always recapped his previous season. He did a weekly blog, but it wasn't online. It was in, a, in the book of why he set the lineup he did, how he came to that, what the results were, what the fallout was. I fucking loved this book i read it cover to cover every time in player and team recaps and by today's standards it's archaic it basically had you know one one hundredth of the information we get on a basic draft guide today but it was still just an amazing thing to read about knowing who went to what teams and the rankings that he had and write-ups about these players and things like that. And Cliff Charpentier was one of the first guys that actually talked about the game of football as far as the X's and O's and how that affected fantasy. I didn't, I didn't grasp it while I was reading those books. I've talked about, I didn't realize how important systems were until it started dawning on me late in the nineties when the Cowboys offensive line broke down, North Turner left, wants that left. You know, I started realizing and then it, you know, 99 Rams were one of those teams where I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? Where did all of a sudden these greatest show on turf, like one year, went from 5-11 and 11 to the greatest team, uh, greatest offense. That, like it was weird to me, but I started realizing Mike Martz and Al Saunders. Oh, okay. But it was really 0-2, with uh, Priest Holmes and those Chiefs teams. That's when I said, okay, the systems matter. But Cliff Charpentier in his books, 
were huge. And he would talk about it. Well, new head coach. He always talked about a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator. This person's calling plays, so this may happen, that may happen. Now, we didn't have the knowledge. We didn't have the years of research in those days, Clifton, that I not currently have. But those are instrumental to me. And if you ever, you know, for nostalgia, you go to eBay, I'm sure, and buy one of those old books. Just check it out. It's fab. $2, I'm sure you buy it for nothing, you know. But um, those were huge in preparation for the season. And it really started, or advanced, I should say, where I was coming from, from a fantasy sports perspective and as a sports fan perspective as well. So in 95 starts, and this is when I learned the art of the deal, not Trump, but the art of fantasy football trades. I can't remember. I've, I've tried. I went through all my notebooks, and I have it. I don't know who I traded away, but I remember at week three of the 1995 season, I traded four. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I traded four Curtis Martin. I'm sorry, week four of that season, I traded for Curtis Martin, right? Or before week four. And he was a rookie of New England Patriots. Who gives a shit, right? It didn't, didn't really matter at that time. We didn't think much of it. Uh, you know, back in those days, running backs were very, very prevalent in the first round, second round. So a third round pick that Curtis Martin was just didn't matter, right? He just wasn't a thing. But he was to me because that year, I started out terrible in the league, and I was a little baby. I was whining and crying, and I, would, I was just bitching and complaining. My season was over, all this stuff to my brother-in-law. And I don't know what happened to my running backs. I, I'm sh somebody must have got injured or cut, or I think somebody went out for the season. Maybe it was Kijana Carter, the only guy that you know, he went out before the season started and whatnot. But – um. Whatever it was, I had major problems, real, real problems at running back. And so I just complained and complained. Basically got my brother-in-law to make our first ever trade. And truth be told, it was one of our last trades ever between the two of us. Um, and I got Curtis Martin. At that point, Martin had nothing. He had scored one touchdown, but he was getting some work and, and whatnot. And I didn't really – it was pretty much nothing. He goes 14 for 44, and he scores a touchdown. Touchdown. It was basically touchdown only in, uh, in those days. But, um, you know, still solid, you know, touchdown or something. Next week he did basically absolutely nothing. And then, uh, yeah, it was nothing, nothing. He did nothing, nothing. And then Curtis Martin starting week seven explodes. Just explodes. He wound up for the year rushing 1,487 yards and 14 touchdowns. And he also caught a touchdown as well, caught 261 yards receiving in those days, which a two-way back in those days were just not – didn't happen. You didn't – there was no points per reception, so that didn't really matter. He caught 30 balls. But, you know, 15 total touchdowns and over 1,600 yards was just amazing. I also had real low-level guys, Scott Mitchell – Herman Moore, a connection with the Detroit Lions, that connection. Needless to say, I went on a streak in 1995 where we used to give $20, $25 a week to the highest point total. I want to say I won six or seven weeks of that. I won the number one overall points. 
and everything. I won over $800 in, um, in that time. And don't forget, $800 was almost half of the entire pool of money for uh, our 12-team league and $150 a piece, $1,800. So I won over $800. I won like $825, I want to say, that year. At that point, it was the most money ever won in this league that had go- been going on since the 1980s. And when my brother-in-law came into the mix and whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, second place finished the year before, first place finished in 95. I won again in 97 and then started our own league, which me and Ted Schuster still run to this day. In 1998, I started uh, that league and away we all went, right? And I continued in this league for a long time. Unfortunately, I would love to tell you I'm still in it and everything else. But at the same time, uh, relationships go as they may. Uh, relationship with my brother-in-law deteriorated pretty, pretty rapidly, unfortunately. It got to a point we actually worked together for a long time, too. And as close as we were and as much as we had in common, just just the dynamic there that, that just didn't work out very well, obviously. Um, Eventually got a divorce from my sister, yada, yada. Don't need to go to the man's family drama there. But uh, I played in this league till well, I think, till at least 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. So a long time um, in that league with all those guys. And I still hold those friendships near and dear to my heart. When, you know, we've lost a couple of the guys along the way. Um, they, I believe they're still playing to this very day. And I know some of them shout out to those who a couple of the guys still listen to the show and we play, we've played in stratomatic leagues together over the years. So I'm still friendly with most of these guys and me and my brother are absolutely still friends. You know, my nephew means the world to me in there and all three of my nephews uh, as well. I have, a, I've, you know, I'm going to talk about family. I have a really lucky in that I have three nephews. My sister's been married twice. Um, and I've had great relationships with both and really good fathers for my nephews. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, relationships, I know a lot of our listeners, some of you guys are probably stepdads or stepmoms or it's not easy being a step parent. You know, it's, it's a brutal job. And, um, but stepping in and manning up. And then also when you're, you know, dads that, for whatever reason, doesn't work out, and you have kids with your ex-wife or ex-girlfriend or something else. There's that sometimes anger and hostility toward that person because of your relationship. But the kids never do anything. I've been so fortunate to have two brother-in-laws that I still talk to this very day that are still good friends of mine to this very day that have taken care of my nephews and are really good dads and everything else. And you know that, that's a, a hard thing to find. And no matter what happens type of person I will always be is that I always give credit to those who helped me along the way. And man, my brother-in-law really uh, got me started in this. I was a young kid, 10 years old, probably when I met him. And from age of 10, I had this obsession with sports and he helped me find a way to manifest it, to grow it, to, to just, you know, take on a whole different world and I didn't get into the fantasy sports industry until 2005, realistically, right? But, you know, 
essentially, I was in it in 1993 when they're 1992 when I'm doing Prodigy message boards and online message boards. And I was always active in everything. I used to do newsletters and everything on our CBS site. And I set up a, a website eventually in the early 2000s uh, for our, our fantasy football league before Ted and I launched Scout Fantasy Football, which was our first ever uh, website, you know, our foray into the fantasy sports industry, at least. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's where it all goes for me. And that's where it all comes from. And in those times, I'll never forget them. And it got to a point, I tell the story every year when I talk about uh, biggest cheaters in fantasy sports, I'll never forget, I'm going to out them right here on this podcast. A couple of years after I won in 95, and then I won in 97. Um, must have been 98, 99, somewhere around there, uh, a group of brothers came in. There was two brothers, Lenny and Jim, who took over one team, and they were together all the time. I'll never forget because their name was Fourth and Goal. I love that team name. I thought it was fantastic at that time. And they were, they were really good. Like They were my toughest competition in the league at that point in time. Then they got their brother Brian into – this league as well. Brian was young. I think he was a little bit younger. No, he's older than me. He's older than me because he could drink. I never, I was going to these drafts and bars. I could never drink. Not that I didn't, I did, but you know, statute of limitations. Yeah. Brian was older than I was, but they started fucking around and they started like trading each other players back and forth and forth and back. And I'll never forget. I'm sitting there. I called up the commissioner one day. He was a 35-year-old man, you know, a guy who, by the way, commissioner was like 6'8", like a huge dude and everything. And I'm screaming at him. I'm like, how you can't allow – said, have some balls. Have some fucking balls. Guys trading – obviously trading their players back and forth depending on – by that time, we had moved to a head-to-head -head format instead of total points. And they, they were fucking around with me all the time. You know, constantly trying to beat me, you know, loading up each other's teams, trading players back and forth. I mean, literally, as bad as any human being. And the commissioner at that time was like, whoa, they paid their money, can't stop it. Like, they wouldn't overrule a trade for anything. And that's where I have a strong belief. That's why oh, it, was, it was 97. It had to be 97 that year. Because, I yeah, it was 97 because I still won. And then 98, I started my own league. And that's when Ted Schuster – and a group of our friends start our own league, including a bunch of guys from that, the other league that I was in. We just, you know, they did two leagues like I did from then on. And the reason we started that league is because the commissioner was a pussy. He was a pussy. He would not stand up to these guys. And they were obviously cheating. And I took the reins as commissioner of our league at that point. It's now called IMFM. And the, um, I've, I've been, I've kept my pimp hand strong. I believe a, uh, a strong commissioner, a strong voice of the league is important. I believe everybody should vote on rules and setups. We, we've always had off season meetings and mid season meetings and all these things in order to talk about anything we want to change rule changes, any idiosyncrasies in the league, anything we want to add or take away. You know, we've done that every year and this league is still going what 23 years. It'll be now, I think, right? 23rd year. Absolutely fantastic. 22nd year, as a matter of fact. So you, you got to be a strong commissioner. If you're in a, a league, you owe it to everybody in that league, whether they've won, not won, whatever, to keep a level playing field. Everybody pays their money 
in order to get a chance to win. Everybody deserves that right. And what happens from then on, who knows? But they deserve that. You can't have brothers swapping teams around, trading players, guys who are changing lineups here and there. I mean, I have stories like that. I could tell you from, I had a guy log into my commissioner server, found out my password, log in to my, this, our CBS site and literally change his line at one time. I'll never forget that. I've told that story on the Sirius XM show a number of times as well. I mean, people will cheat. Commissioners have to be strong. Commissioners have to be aware. And that's one of the reasons I believe in it. Cause uh, that money was a real big deal to me back in those times. And uh, it continues to be today. I don't care if you're playing for $1 or you're playing for 15,000 still matters to me. So yeah, that that's my time in fantasy sports. That's how I got started uh, with it. And like I said, I didn't join the industry until 2005, but I've been groomed for this my entire life. Sports ideas, sports radio, reading the sports page. I, I, there's nothing that gets past me with it all. And by this, I'm 42 years old. 40 years in, essentially, almost to my love affair with sports at every level, baseball, football, hockey, uh, fantasy basketball. I played in the late 90s as well, early 2000s, ever until Tim Donaghy. Donaghy, that was the last, uh, that was the last straw for me with NBA. Still played daily fantasy. Got into daily fantasy early on. Won money doing that. Played high stakes. I've been groomed for this my whole life. I've done it my whole life. The experience factor here, I think, matters when it comes to analysis. I think it matters when it comes to gameplay. Uh, I just have been through this. I've seen everything before, right? I've seen, Lamar Jackson didn't surprise me last year. Why? I saw it. I remember Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham was the first guy, first quarterback, really, to make a massive impact with his legs, and it was – we didn't know how to deal with it back in those days. And, you know, it wasn't – we didn't know that it was such a big deal because you really didn't have a resource to play the stats against each other. Well, I solved that by handwriting them all down. I continued it by starting message boards on Prodigy and eventually America Online. When I, and then MSN, started message boards on MSN Network back in those days too. And then I saw it again with Michael Vick. You know, and we, we've seen the rushing quarterbacks and the impact they make and also the fact that they get hurt a lot, right? It's just what happens. So these things we've seen before and that experience, I think is one of the great edges that I possess now here as we enter the 2020 fantasy football season, fantasy sports season as well. I get in a, a fantasy hockey with league with somebody. I get in a fantasy baseball league with somebody, fantasy basketball or whatever, and I will hold my own against anybody. And it's because done it, seen it, played it, been there, done that kind of thing. So um, that's where my experience comes from, everybody. And that's why I'm not going to be right. Nobody, and again, I've done this for 30 years, played it. I've never, I've had great seasons. I mentioned that 1995 season, I smashed. I set every record there was, the dollars won. The points record, I believe that points record never was broken, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no, it was because we started PPR. Once we started PPR, it, all things were off at that point. Um, but I've seen that before, and um, 
at 2003, I had one of the greatest seasons ever as well. I won another high stakes league. I won every league I was in, including my first undefeated season of all time. I think it's my only undefeated season. Oh no, I've done undefeated, but not in high stakes leagues. In like high level leagues, I was literally undefeated. Uh, won every league I did in 2003. Had the Carolina Panthers at 75 to one to win the Super Bowl, and they were an Adam Vinatieri kick away. I mean, that was about as magical and as dominant as a run of football analysis as I've ever seen. And again, it was two years before I joined the industry, right? I was just a player doing it all back then. So what does this mean for you? Great, man. Love to hear your story, but who gives a shit? Try to help me. I'm trying to tell you is number one, I got called arrogant got called an asshole, all that stuff this week, and it does not bother me. I want everybody to understand it's not arrogance. It's confidence, all right? It's a big difference. There isn't a question of whether I know. Don't People with the Gardner Minshew shit this week, people came after me, you don't oh, fucking know anything, man. You don't, know, you don't reference stats. Shut up. I have more knowledge about this game of football than just about anybody. I will go up against anybody. You put me in a room with anybody who's ever played the game, coached the game, Bill Belichick. I'll go in, and Bill Belichick will know more than me. But I'm not going to embarrass myself is what I'm saying. Right? We just saw the match. You guys watched the match. Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. Brady kind of embarrassed himself in, in a way. He was really humiliating himself. Then all of a sudden, he hits two big shots, huge chip in, at one point to win a hole and a huge putt later on. Tom Brady played like shit, but he held his own, right? He was outmatched, but he didn't embarrass himself. Splitting pants, almost it. You know what I mean? And that's what I would be against Bill Belichick. I, I, and you put me against fantasy analysts, forget about it. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm not saying I know more, but there's going to be hard to, it's hard to take away from this knowledge. So let me, let my knowledge, let me help you. Let me help you guys get better, work towards winning championships, winning money, changing your life in fantasy sports. You're here. You're listening anyway. Stop fighting. Stop arguing with, about it. Or let's have a conversation. We could argue. We have different, we have different thoughts, obviously. But, you know, just like I, I did, coming up, I didn't challenge Cliff Charpentier. I didn't challenge my brother-in-law. I didn't charge um, – or. Um, yeah, I, I didn't try to argue or you know, fight with uh, any of the people that helped me coming up. I didn't fight with people um, even when I joined the industry after, you know, real hot year. And by 2007, I was winning WCOF titles, placed in, in the overall, right, world championship of fantasy football. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I've done all this a couple years later i'm winning six figures playing daily fantasy for crying out loud so i've done this let me help you you know if you we had disagreement about players we have disagreement about stats or teams or whatever that's great it's wonderful let's talk about it don't give me don't try to act as if this knowledge this 30 years of football you know 30 years of baseball hockey even is not uh, you, there's nothing you could take advantage of here. Um, too many people want to come in, think they know every fucking thing there is, and quote a bunch of stats. For one, in football, you quote any stat you want, literally any stat you want, and you could make a case for it. 
it is the easiest thing to do. It's why fantasy football Twitter is full of people quoting stats. That's all it is because they could, they could frame it any way they want because they have the season. These people go away once the season happens because they can't do it within a week's time. They can't evaluate. They can't give analysis on it day of, that Sunday, the next day. They have, to, they have to wait for their algorithms to check out. They have to download the stats in two tables and then dissect the tables, then decide how they feel, then go and research the stats. By then, we're on to the next week, right? That's why you see this in the offseason all of the time. Anyway, I've talked a long time already about it. That is my fantasy beginning everybody i want to ask you at jeff underscore mans the jeff mans on facebook instagram snapchat tiktok i want to hear from all of you out there what were your fantasy beginnings when did you start what was your first year what was your first pick in your first year when was your first championship who helped you out the most who got you in to fantasy sports was football your first love was it baseball was it basketball or hockey or some other form of fantasy sports. I want to hear from you. Share your stories with me at Jeff underscore mans. Uh, I'd love to hear that, those stories from you guys there as well. So there it is. Episode 17, one man's opinion podcast. Everybody hope you enjoyed this one. Again, there'll be another one coming up later on in the week. Appreciate you guys downloading. If you could tell a friend, if you could help spread the word Again, this podcast is free of charge won't always be like that folks you know it will be for as long as that we keep the momentum going but um you know i want to keep this thing going i want to uh and it's been very successful so far i want to keep it going free of charge not putting it behind a paywall and everything else i want to be able to continue to be open and honest about my life personal life sports life things i've learned over time, sharing that knowledge with you, sharing it with each other, quite frankly. So in order to do that, though, got to keep the momentum going. Subscribe, rate, review. If you like it, if you don't like it, that's okay. Perfectly okay, right? Say it. I'll tell you what, though. I, I will. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, challenge me. What don't I know? That's what, that's what I'm talking about. Challenge me. I dare you to do it. I dare you. And I want it in front of, I want an empathy. I want the old Pontiac Silverdome with 100,000 people. And I have a microphone and somebody challenges me on a football item. I long for that. That's what I, it's all, that's, that's what I want. That's why I love the live radio show. I want that so bad because there's nothing I'm not uh, capable of when it comes to fantasy football. As far as the analysis is concerned, not always going to be right, but uh, well, that's how it is. Speaking of that, uh, yes, I may not always be right. We may disagree, but that's okay. Why? Because this was one man's opinion. See you next time, everybody. Deuces!